Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Roaming Roots podcast number five. We join our family, Brent and Abby, as they're in Cambodia with their children, Zoe and Simon. And today's episode begins with Zoe recounting her experience so far. She's a great guest and a lot of fun. We then transition into Brent and Abby, who talk a lot about their trip, the adventures they've had. And this episode is a bit interesting because it's more than just a recounting of what occurs during their trip, but also their interactions and their intersection with community and culture and the great things they've done, the mistakes they've made, and what they've experienced along the way. This is more or less a part one for this episode. We're gonna come back into a part two uh, later on. We were a bit time pressed for this episode but we will uh, return to all of this later on. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of the Roaming Roots podcast. So welcome back to the Roaming Roots podcast. Um, for those who've listened previously, we, we've talked to, to Abby and to Brent along the way, but we were very fortunate on an earlier episode that we spoke to, to Zoe. And Zoe is the almost 10-year-old daughter of Abby and Brent, um, and she, along with her little brother, Simon, have been doing this massive trip from Portugal to Spain to Morocco, and now they're in Southeast Asia. So I'm really happy to start this episode with Ms. Zoe. Um, she's sitting in her, looks like to be a bedroom in their Airbnb somewhere. Um, I mean, I'm gonna ask where they are, but Zoe, walk me through that. Where are you right now? We are in our apartment in Cambodia. We're in a city called Siam, Siam Reap, and it is the capital of Cambodia. We just got back from rock climbing, and I met a good friend, and we had dinner together. Holy cow. Okay, so I like this so far. Now, for the for the folks who are at home, it is currently Monday, February 19, 2024. It is 840 in beautiful New Jersey, a.m., and it is 8.40 p.m. in Cambodia. Now, yeah. you didn't start in Cambodia. You went from Morocco to where? Where was your first stop? Thailand. But actually, before Morocco, we were in Spain and Portugal. Okay. So and we had talked that about was, that previously. I loved, I loved Portugal. You love Portugal, right? So let me ask you, my, my first question is this. Having spent time in Morocco, and you know, Spain, Portugal, Morocco, and now being in first Thailand and now Cambodia. Can you walk us through the biggest differences between the two sets of countries? Morocco was very, it was very different from here. One, the food was so different in Morocco. It was like, like tangine, which was like, vegetables and like pork or chicken and rice or like um i forget what it's called but okay. it's like little balls of pasta gotcha and then and so that was morocco and then you got on a plane and now you're in southeast asia what was it what's the big now you said the food what's the food like what was it like in thailand thailand was Everything's like warm here, and that's kind of hard because the weather is also very warm. So it's um, yeah, it's not the best. When but you say warm, do you mean like too hot, or do you mean like it's just it's yeah. it's warm compared to Morocco? It's it's hot. It's like it's like eighty to hundred degrees every day. It's is it very humid? Um. I don't really know how to tell if it's human or not. Okay. But it's definitely hot. There's definitely a difference there. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you find the air quality different? Does the air feel different when you breathe it? No. No, it's about the same? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the food in Thailand is always warm, but it was a lot more flavorful in Thailand. And Well, food and Cambodia is also the food's warm, mm -hmm. um, but there's actually more cold food in Thailand, like smoothies. Okay. Um, okay. There are some here, just I haven't seen them as much. Did you? There's when a you, lot of like drinks and stuff. So, so when you landed in Thailand, I'm sure when you were flying there, you were thinking about what kind of country it was going to be. So in your head, you had this this preconceived notion of what it was going to look like when you got there. When you landed in Thailand, you began to move around. Did it match what you thought it would look like? No, because when I think of like Thailand, I think of Asia, and then I think of like 
I don't even know what I think of when I think of Asia. I think of I think of like rice. Okay. 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 <laughs> and like the Chinese New Year. Right. Right. Well, that's 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 been your primary experience with Asia, right? The 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 Chinese food and the rice and the, and the Lunar New Year, the Chinese New Year. Yeah, and we so- haven't. There was we were we are in Cambodia, and they celebrate the Kimmer New Year. I think. Mm-hmm. Don't really know how to pronounce it. Khmer, be, uh, I think. But probably, I think it might be Khmer. Yeah, well, I Khmer. Could be wrong Khmer, okay. Yeah, Khmer, and so that's in like March or something, May. I don't know, but so we there, like we saw some decorations. Some people were wearing red, but that was in Thailand. Got it. Um, it might have been in Cambodia. I kind of forget. So, I it's, it it's, so I think you bring a really valuable <laughs> thing to our audience because. Uh, many Westerners, right? Folks who live in Western Europe, they live in they live in uh, North America. They think of Asia as being like a single block, like just Asian people. And I think what you've experienced is is that there's there's different cultures between Thailand and Cambodia. The holidays yeah. is one thing. What 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 else are the the things that you're learning about Asia that you want to tell us about? There is like no spicy food in Cambodia. But there is a lot of it in Thailand. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. And what's it been yeah. like? What was the what's like this? What was your sensory input like? Did you find the cities very busy? Did you find them kind of quiet? Did you find a lot of people around? What did you? What did? What were you taking in through your eyes and through your head? And I asked this question because when you were in Fez, I remember your mom and dad telling me that it was a lot. There was a lot going on. A lot of noise. A lot of people. A lot of activity. Is it the yeah. same when you arrived in Asia? It's more because in Asia, there's like motorbikes and it's like, like there's actually more stoplights, but it's like, it's giant interception intersections. And it's like, it's just so much. And we actually rented bikes and I got more used to riding here. Um, but at first I was like terrified because I know we weren't riding motorbikes, but my dad told me that a lot of foreigners that don't know how to manage these streets and stuff do get into accidents when Got they're it. on motorbikes. Got so it. I was pretty nervous about that. How have you split your time between being in cities and being outside of cities and more rural areas? I think there was, I saw pictures of a beach trip that took place. Like, like what have you, how have you gotten out of the cities and what have you seen? So mostly when we're out of the cities, it's like little towns and stuff. It's not like it's not like a tiny village with huts. It's like little towns like in uh, Losha in Portugal. We it's mostly we actually mostly go there for like hiking and stuff. Right. Um. So Losha was in Portugal. We went to uh, Chef Shaun, which was a little busier, but still a little quieter in um, Morocco. And then we went to one more place in Morocco, I think. But then we went to a place that Canterbury or something. Mm -hmm. Well, that was north. I remember your mom and dad talked about that. That was northwest of Bangkok. Yeah, that was Thailand. Thailand, yes, right. So we only spent one day there. And was that we, when you were? Was that when you were in the pool swimming? There was no. like, there was, what was that? That was at Coaching in the beach. We had a pretty fancy. Well, that was nice there, but I saw. I thought I saw pictures of your Simon and your dad, like on these rock slides. Like, did you hike up? Oh, yeah. So we spent two days there, but one day in the actual city. So we slept there, and we loved our whole hostel. It was very comfortable. Um. So we went to. So mm. it's a lot, right? It's a lot to sort of remember. <laughs> By the way, are you writing so all this first, down? Are you keep, are you keeping a journal? Um, no, okay. I'm doing writing and I'm like coloring, like okay. drawing stuff. And I'm we're most I'm we're mostly taking pictures. And remember, I'm going to make a photo album when I get home with my grandma. Gotcha. But so Canterbury was the first day we went to a uh, museum about the POWs in World War II. Mm-hmm. My dad taught me about it. And then 
we went the and we went to the bridge that they built. The bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. And then we went the next day. We went to um, waterfalls, and that's where the rock slide was. It's actually kind of scary to go there because I am not scared of fish, but like I don't like fish. Yeah, I'm with you. By the way, I don't, I'm not a big fish fan. Right. Like, like, like when I'm in the water, it's like they have their space. I have my space and we don't meet. Yeah. But this one is the complete opposite. There's these little fish that like eat oh, the dead Don't tell skin me they, they eat off your feet. feet. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, like, I would, yeah, I would I'm never like, ever do no, that. No, I don't want to do that. So I tried to move <laughs> around a lot, but doing that, I moved too fast and I hurt my wrist, but I'm oh, no. fine. Are you all right? Are you all yeah, recovered? I'm fine. It just, you're fine. It just hurt. <laughs> all right, good. All right, I'm glad you're okay. So yeah. So as I as I think about this and the, and the, the parts of the trip you've done, the, the the most value that you bring to the to the podcast is not really about you recanting the trip, right? Your mom and dad are very good at telling us where you've been, but I mm-hmm. think a lot of kids are starting to listen to the podcast because they enjoy hearing from you. Yeah, my my teacher is actually doing it with my class, and I'm like. That's so cool. <laughs> so, so let me ask you a question. Knowing that there are, are, are kids that are at home who are listening to this. Yeah, what? there's 17 other kids at home listening to it. So what do you want them to know about? Like, what have you learned that you want to pass along to them? Um, I've been pretty scared to try new things. And it's just like, it's scary. Like when we were on camels, like I did it, but you so when you get off, they like jolt you forward and right. it's so abrupt. And like, even if you're scared, even if you don't want to do the thing, at least go along with it. Like I did not want to ride a camel again. I did not, but we did go on a camel sunset, like a riding camel sunset ride. And I walked alongside them. So try to, and I also did pet the camels, try to at least do part of the thing that you are scared to do. That's a really good piece of advice. Right. So you're saying like, like don't worry about the do whole the thing. You're scared to do be brave. But then if you are too scared or you are like really scared, you just don't know how to you just, you don't know how to like pull yourself together. Right. Then at least do part of it. Cause like I was terrified actually. It was so uncomfortable and it was like so tall and bumpy. And I, I just was really uncomfortable. So I was like, okay, I really, really don't want to ride a camel. But I really, really don't want to stay at this camp for an hour by myself watching TV. Got it. Got it. So you had to make a decision between the two. Yeah. So I was like, I know this is going to be hard and it's going to be like I'm walking two miles in the sand, also up a mountain, which we did do. It was like, it wasn't a literal mountain, but it was kind of like, it was giant sand dune. Um, and we didn't walk all the way up, but pretty high. So I was like, I don't want to ride the camel. But I don't want to be alone for an hour. And I don't want to miss out on a beautiful sunset, which we actually didn't really get to see. But it was still really cool. Right. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> um, that's so, part of life, right? Like life is like you have to do certain things to get certain things. And you may not want to do them. Right. But you I have to do it to get something else. I really wanted to. I just didn't want to do the camel riding part. Gotcha. So I was like. I'm just going to walk and I'm going to keep an eye on the camels. It was really fun. And I was, one of the camels had watch like, closely. A keep an eye on those camels. Mouth, <laughs> like had a thing over its mouth mm-hmm. and it tried to eat one of the guys when he got on. Okay. 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 That'd be a terrible <laughs> yeah. way to go. Eaten by a camel. I wouldn't like that one bit. <laughs> I don't so, even think a camel could do that, but. I couldn't. So, so how, so I remember when I talked to mom and dad at the beginning of this, they, we talk about the physical exertion necessary, the carrying the backpacks, moving around together. How much yeah. stronger do you feel that you are now physically? Uh, a lot. And today at climbing, my hands are really beat up. So but indoor climbing like, or outdoor climbing? Indoor. Indoor? Um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm getting a lot stronger. Um. But it's hard because I love rock climbing mm-hmm. and I can't go every week. Right. And I don't always want to go every week. Got it. So 
I'm like, am I going to not be good anymore when I get back? Well, right. Like, I mean, I, I, I mean, the lesson there is you have to, if you want to get, if you want to get good at something, you have to do that something. Yeah. So we've been, we're, we did it today and we're going to do it for the next few days with actually my friend. So, so, so. I, I'm going to ask about your friend in a second. Just thought it, we'll come back to that because I do definitely want to hear about that. So is your concern that because you're away, you're not climbing on a weekly basis, that you're going to lose skill and capacity for when you get home and you want to climb again? I don't think I'm going to lose skill. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I'm going to lose my talent to be a good climber. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's going to, like, take me a little while to, you know, get up. How am I going to just jump right back in and be good again when I'm gotcha. back. Yeah, that's good. And there's, I mean, I'm sure down the road when we get closer to the end of the trip, we're going to talk a bit about your transition back into home life and day-to-day life. But I'm mostly worried about sleep, about sleep when we get back. What do you mean? I don't want to wake up at two in the morning and not. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the whole, the time adjustment has to be a big deal for your body. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you kind of need to stay awake so that you can get back into but it's much actually harder to go back to it like if you were in uh this time right now for you Mm -hmm. like you are nine in the morning 855 in the morning and i'm 855 at night so if i which i'm glad i'm not we're actually I'll, i'll tell you in a minute so if it's much harder to go from 8.55 8.55 p.m. to right. 8.55 a.m. Yeah, yeah. But like backwards, not forwards. Right, right. When I because when I travel, I'd much rather st- I'd much rather try to stay awake during the day to make it to the night than be awake in the middle yeah. of the night. Yeah, I agree. Um, But so I'm really glad we're doing this. So we're going back to Africa for my birthday and the Namibia mm-hmm. race that my parents are doing. Um, tan- We're actually going to Tanzania for my birthday and we're going on a safari. It's, funny, you know, when I, it's so funny how similar our lives are. When I was 10 years old, rather than go to Tanzania, my parents took me to the McDonald's play place. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah, because well, the McDonald's play place is so much better than going on safari. Exactly. You've, you've, you've figured out the secret to life, Zoe. So, so you mentioned this friend you were climbing with before. Tell me about that. We met her today and she's like, almost eight, I'm almost mm-hmm. 10, so mm-hmm. a little bit younger than me. But we um, are very in common. We have the same favorite color. We What's the color? What's your favorite color? Green. What's your favorite color? Green? Same? Yeah. You too? I do. Yep, green. A lot of people like green. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we just have a lot in common, and we are going to climb together for the next couple of days, so I'm well, excited about it. It must be really nice for you to to to, to connect with someone who falls inside your age, right? Because you, you're with Simon, right, who's younger than you, and mom and dad are older than you, and because you're moving around from place to place. And also a different gender, so he, like, plays completely differently than I do. Got it, got it. Okay. How does he so, – so, so how does he play differently? He plays, like, superheroes. Superheroes? Okay. Okay. I play so much differently than that. Okay. What's his favorite? What's his favorite superhero? Spider Man. Spider Man. Okay, I can live with that. Spider Man's good. War Machine. Then he just changed it. Well, War Machine, and not to get too nerdy on you, War Machine was, and you know, Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so War Machine was a different Iron Man suit that was developed by Tony Stark. But we're getting this is we're going down a nerd rabbit hole. I don't want to do that to you. Coming back to you. No, I don't mind. I I love Marvel. <laughs> you love Marvel, Marvel. Yeah, I'm a DC guy. So so, I'm I'm delighted to hear that you made a friend. And by the way, what's his name? So we could say hello to him. It's a girl. Oh, it's a, I'm sorry. I thought you said it was a boy. I apologize. No. What's her name? I don't actually know how to pronounce it. We have nicknames for each other because we both can't pronounce each other's name. <laughs> okay. So what's your nickname um, for so her? She actually calls me Zootopia. Zootopia. All right. She got the Z down. And I call her Ma. Ma? <laughs> oh, hello, Ma. I know you're out there <laughs> it's listening. It's weird because she's like Mela or something, but it's like harder to pronounce. So um, she's like, my friends call me Ma. You can call me Ma. That's can so I nice. Can call you Zootopia? <laughs> So are you going to be in the same place for the next several days? Uh, Two more days. Two more days? Yeah. Two more days. And, and what's the name of the town that you're currently in? Uh, Sam Reap. Okay. And how do you describe it? Is it a 
big town, small town? Like, is it's it big? It's the capital. It's the capital. And so it's three million people living in it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what part, what part are you near any parks? Are you near anything outside or is it mostly inside like an urban area? I don't know. You don't know. You just know what's right in front of you. Okay. I need a Simon update. How's Simon doing? Crazy. Annoying. Crazy. Annoying. Yeah. And how old is he? Four. Four. Yeah. I would assume that for an almost 10 year old girl, that an almost four year old or four year old little brother would be pretty much crazy and annoying. But is he, is he having fun? I think so. Okay. Are you I having mean, fun? Are you enjoying getting the trip? in trouble because he's being a bad listener. Okay. Are, are, are you he enjoying gonna the trip? He was going to come to dinner tonight and then he didn't because he was being a bad listener. Okay. We'll get him on the show eventually. I look forward to talking to him. When I talk to him, will you help out with that interview? Yeah, I will. You will help That'll out. That'll be you'll, a funny interview. <laughs> that'll be a fun interview. You'll be, you'll be the Simon Whisperer. You make sure he gives me good answers. Mm-hmm. So, so. He's probably just going to say, if you ask like, Simon, what was your favorite place? And he was like, where I got new stuffies. Right. That's what he's going to do, right? Exactly. So let me, let me ask you yeah. this question. So th- the idea of fun is a relative term, right? Would you say that you're having fun? Yes. Lots of fun. Lots of fun? Okay. We visited so- one of the seven wonders of the world. What was that? We visited Angkor Wat, one of the seven wonders of the world. And tell us about what was that like? We went on a tour, but I couldn't really understand him. Okay. Okay. It was very big. Well, gotcha. actually, it was not that big. Are those the huge temples? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like how yeah. big? Like, like 50 feet high? Are these as big as, like, your house? Are they bigger than your house back home? They're much bigger than my house. And your house is, like, two oh, stories, right? Some of them so- are. Some of them are smaller. Most of them are bigger. Are there, are there a lot of tourists there now? Are you inside tourist season? Or is it kind of quiet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My friend is from France. Okay. But she lives here with her mom. And her dad is visiting. And this that's Ma. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to keep I'm, you know, you so many friends are trying to keep them all in order. Hello there, listeners. Well, thanks to Zoe for coming on to the first part of the show. We're now gonna transition into Brent and Abby, who join us a few moments later. So uh Zoe, great interview. Fantastic. You know, did a very nice job talking about her experience. I know you were in the other room. She did a very nice job talking about her experience. One thing I've tried to avoid with with this is I don't want to have the podcast be merely be a recounting of your travels, right? If people want, they can go to roamingroots.net and they can, and you've done a very nice job with the chapters, walking them through all the experiences. So when we talk here, I definitely want to balance the, tell us where you've been and what it's been like compared to what you're taking out of the experience along the way. Um, and, and when I, when I talked to Zoe, we, we had a really nice conversation about, she talked about the riding of the camels and how she had to make a, a, a deal with herself that she, she really, really, really didn't want to ride the camels, but she really, really didn't want to wait an hour back at camp by herself. Like she knew she had to try that. And then she had to, she had to dip her toe into the water and she said she could take it in piecemeal. Um, and I thought that was a, a pretty cool thing to talk about, right? Cause this entire trip is, is a massive exploration on behalf of your family that you're, there's gotta be a lot of that. Like, I, 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 not sure if I want to do this, but I want to do this and I'm going to kind of dip my toe into the water, whether it be where you're staying at night, whether it be the, the hostel you're picking, whether it be the travel you're choosing. So I kind of want to kick off this part of the conversation about that, the idea of trying new things, taking things piecemeal and pushing your personal and your family's boundaries a bit wider for the experience. Ryan, I just did a 40 mile solo bike ride through the Cambodian jungle, (laughs) which is absolutely not something I ever would have imagined for myself, like ever. Um, And the whole time I was like, how did I get here? How did the circumstances come together to put me in this place and to like make me comfortable enough, mostly comfortable enough to be doing this on my own with a, with a map. Um, like I was so, it was one of those kind of meta moments of like, how did this happen and how did I get here? And I think there has been, there's been kind of an undertone of that throughout the trip. Um, I don't, I don't quite, I haven't quite put the words together yet, but that is something I've been feeling 
Definitely with with the bike route. So the the context for that is, Brent spent a day biking through Siem Reap, which is where we spent the last week. Um, and we rented mountain bikes, and it was just this like amazing playground to explore. So he spent the day riding. I don't know. You did like seventy five miles over the course of the day, visiting temples and checking out villages, and right. Yeah, though the exploration was over the course of two or three different rides mm. that all played into what I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he well, came back from the the final ride that he did the big one and he was like, I want to put together a race for you. He was like, it would make me so happy to take all of this and distill it down and be a race director for, for the day. And you can be my, my participant. Um, and I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, well, uh, I've seen that. I've seen the map. I mean, I'm, and I'm assuming the map's going to go up on roamingroots.net. But for all intents and purposes, Brent, you've made a full-on adventure race map for Abby to use. I mean, it, it could have been handed out to 200 people, could have been handed to one person, right? Am I am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely uh, kind of did what we do as race directors when we direct races for, like you said, a couple hundred people, and just made one map and you know threw it together a little bit more haphazardly than I would normally, but. It, came out just fine. Uh, and I was excited to play race director for a day. And, and the best part is I got to dot watch too. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So they've all the, so it's the, uh, and I think that you called it the, how did you spell it? Well, a okay. So we should pump the brakes right, right away. Um, so I will share what I called it. And then we have to forget that. I, well, we don't have to forget actually, like we should, we should acknowledge what happened here. So, we were, for, for people that have no idea what we're talking about, because I don't think we've actually mentioned the term Angkor Wat yet, right? You know, Siem Reap is the base for the the famous, world famous um, Angkor Wat temples. So Angkor Wat, A-N-G-K-O-R, right? So I thought, oh, I'll be cute and I'll call it the Angkor, A-N-G-K, capital A, capital R, adventure race, right? right. Totally logical. <laughs> Very pleased with myself, put together the mats, map, sent Abby out. She posted it. So this morning, I went off on my own. We are now in Phnom Penh, which is the capital of Cambodia. Um, I took a day, and Abby is going to either do the same thing tomorrow or the day after. Um, but I took a day on my own to go visit um, the killing fields that are here outside Phnom Penh. And then I spent the afternoon in um, a famous historical site called S21, which is kind of the most infamous of the uh, basically prisons and processing centers that the Khmer Rouge used during the Cambodian genocide of the 1970s. And um, was reminded, because this is something I actually did know in a, a, a past life when I used to teach this, but I haven't taught this material in probably a easily a decade, if not longer. And I had, I had totally forgotten that that same word, um, Ankar was, uh, used as a name by the Khmer Rouge to describe their regime. I had totally forgotten that. Um, and texted Abby literally from the killing fields of, uh, you know, Phnom Penh, um, or one of the many, such sites this morning, just like feeling awful, right. About the fact that a, I hadn't realized it and B it went out on social media and C may have been seen by people that know better. And D the worst being that, you know, we spent a really amazing half day with a Cambodian family last week that was our, our teammate Joel's host family when he was here for two years in the Peace Corps. And, um, Abby connected with a couple of them on Facebook right away and was just like, oh my God, you know, had, if they saw that, I just, I was kind of horrified by that, that whole aspect. <laughs> so mistakes happen. We're all human. Um, we can go back to the happy part of the race because it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that, I think, that's but the, I think there's, a, I think, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a, a conversation to be had around the idea that the, the clearly it, recognizing when you're uh, make a mistake, you think as you, you amend it, you own up to it right away. Right. And you, you acknowledge it and then you do what you can to make it better by, by reaching out to those that are impacted by it and then learning from it. Right. And there has to be in, in your individual situation, but in, in bigger picture, 
there has to be a conversation around the idea of like people are going to make mistakes on a wide scale on the internet and they should have a chance to walk those mistakes back, acknowledge and move on from there. And not every single event has to become the one thing that goes through there. Right. And so I think you, you've, you followed the appropriate pattern, right? You, 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 you acknowledge the error, you did your best to connect those that were impacted by it. And then obviously what you should do is, and this is a very common thing I see with people like on, for example, like of a Twitter or a Facebook is that they will acknowledge the error and then they'll scrub the error that they'll, they'll delete what occurred previously, but not erase it. Well, they're mentioning that like, listen, like if I did this thing here by accident, I acknowledge it, but because of the long tail of the internet, I'm going to remove those things over there because I don't want people to find them out of context a month, a year or five years later. So I think that's, that is what it is. Right. And so I appreciate the fact that you will talk about it out loud because there are people who listen to the podcast who will apply that example to their life in another situation. So thank you for doing that. Um, and look, we're, we're trying to travel responsibly. Right. We're trying to, you know, minimize our carbon footprint as best as we can traveling around the world. And we're trying to, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, kind of mm -hmm. how we interact mm -hmm. with people as we go through, through their spaces and we're making mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. And we, you know, we talk a lot about the, the more glaring ones that we've made this being one of them. Um, but, you know, trying to, to reconcile that feeling of, Oh shit. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I stuck my foot in it and yeah, it's, it, it will be messy. Um, Cause we are traveling through other people's spaces. Like just that unto itself creates messiness. And we are, we are, you know, yeah. You want to talk about the brothel? <laughs> well, before we get to the brothel, let's back up a little bit. Cause I do want to, uh, uh, of the, of the, of the, the listeners of, of the podcast who are now numbering into tens and perhaps even the hundreds someday, um, a large component are probably adventure racers. And clearly when, when I saw the intersection of the trip, roaming your trip combined with an adventure race map, I just got to ask Abby, how was your race? Were you satisfied? Were you happy to be on the podium? Tell us about it. Brian, I was on top of the podium. Uh, I was very happy with it. I would have loved to have had a map board and a physical copy of the map instead of staring at the, you know, three inches on my phone. Um, I was also really happy that Brent had made a compliment Caltopo map so that I could double check where I was because um, I am not a master navigator and I was biking on, you know, jungle trails with cobras and leopards and um <laughs> you know, lots of other trails that went so in direction. Was the terrain like? Was it, was it like fire road? Was it dusty road? Was it, was it full on single track? Was it like, like, how would you describe overall what percentage kind of fell in each piece of terrain? Yeah, it was a combination of, there were some paved roads. There were some, um, you know, very navigable dirt roads and there was some legitimate, probably seven to 10 miles, seven to nine miles of legitimate single track. Um, you know, it was, it was very flat. Um, there was a fair bit of sand. There were the trails were pretty narrow and there were some of them that were pretty rutted out. Um, and if you and and I, fortunately, Brent had shared some of his beta with me. Um, a lot of the trails where where the the worst sections that were rutted out, people had kind of dug out, you know, um, workarounds. And so you saw these trails kind of going off in both directions. And if you knew which ones to take, um, you could get around the most rutted areas. But it, it was a proper, you know section of an bike section of an adventure race. It was, it was a mix of everything. Any intersection with the local population? Some, yeah, there was, you know, when I was on the trails, I only ran into probably a handful of folks, um, largely fisher, uh, fishermen, people who are fishing, mm -hmm. um, some, some women who are on bicycles and were, uh, like getting reeds to, to use, I think for, for some kind of, um, you know, handcraft, um, and then I biked through a number of of smaller villages. So lots of people kind of selling wares on the sides of the road um, and then also through the temple site. So some intersection with with travelers and, and tourists as well. 40 miles was the entire route. What was it like 40, 45? Cause 45, I five, but with the out and backs at the start. Yeah. So I biked from our hotel to the start and then back. So there's a little bit of add on. Well done. As a race director, Brent, were you satisfied with your uh, your work? Oh, I yeah, no, I I was. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, and and the jungle part was really fun. You know, it was it was interesting. I I got the 
unadulterated fun of doing all of it without any beta. So there's this one section in particular, which, um, you know, Cal Topo suggested I could go one way and I got in there and was like, well, this isn't going to work at all. Um, and then ended up kind of using satellite maps to navigate my way through this stretch of kind of, uh, jungle and then open field. Um, and, uh, so I was finding myself on, on kind of tracks that weren't on any maps. And then I worked my way down, got back onto all trails. It suggested I had to cross a Creek and I ended up at a river that I wasn't going to be able to cross. So then there's the adventure of figuring out, well, how do I get to the other side? Um, so it was really, I, I had a blast doing it and then, you know, made sure that it was relatively straightforward for, for Abby. So she didn't get lost in the jungle and bitten by cobras and such. That's great stuff. And I just, I just marvel at how blessed we are for that. We have Cal Topo and all trails, like just sitting there oh, waiting yeah. for us, like pick it up and off we go. I mean, so well, great. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the note about kind of your question about, um, locals. So when I was, uh, out biking one day, this was before I had the concept for this. Um, you know, so I went out for a couple of different bike rides around the temples and then I did one really big, like 110 kilometer ride. Um, one day, but um, one of those earlier ones, I was trying to get to a temple that is called the Tomb Raider Temple. So it actually features in Angelina Jolie's version of um, Tomb Raider. Sure. And, um, you know, so the the trail that I was trying to use on all trails was closed. And I kind of went around a side, a different side of this temple complex. And it was this big show, a lot of people, there's no way I was bringing a bike in. So I kept going ended up in this little village kind of up at the corner of the complex, um, much quieter, no tourists. And uh, I asked a, a local who struck up a conversation with me, you know, can I go around this way? And he said, yeah, yeah, can you go around that way? And and then he mentioned the temple's name. And uh, I had this amazing stretch all to myself, and Abby got to do it too, where I'm biking along this temple wall in the jungle, not a soul around, and then there's just this gate and you can ride your bike through this like ancient uh, Kimmer gate and in through these little trails. And all of a sudden you pop out and you're where all the tourists are and they don't know that you're there. I'm not sure if you're supposed to be riding your bike in there or not, but the locals surely seem to think that was OK. So and in full transparency, that stretch of trail where there's no people, that's where I got caught peeing. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So there are some people that use it. <laughs> I, I tell you, it's, it's an adventure race rule. You can see nobody yeah, yeah. for hours. And the minute yeah. you decide you have to answer nature's call, like a, a group of, pa a, a pack of tourists walk by without fail. Yeah. Without Hopefully fail. she seemed amused. So Very nice. Nice, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we both had a similar experience with the combination of heat, lack of nutrition, hydration and trying to like time it to get to different places to keep ourselves going. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I actually asked Zoe about the, the idea of the heat, the, the idea of the two and, and humidity, the idea of humidity kind of escaped her. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious, like what, it, what is, you know, heat, humidity, like, are we talking like 80 degrees, 80% humidity? Like, are you just sweating all the time or is it colder? Like, where are you seasonal there? It, it's hovering between 95 and hundred degrees every day. And this is the dry season, so it's not. It's 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 and that's not the shade. That's in the shade. That's in the shade. And and wow. we learned after that this is kind of the hottest time of the year because right. it's the dry season. Got it. Um, you don't know that the humidity is terrible, but but the heat is pretty relentless, and the it, sun is it's it's baking you. Okay. Okay. So for a little bit of context, um, I went for a run. Uh, I haven't done a, like a, I don't think either one of us has done a ton of really hard cardio work in, in this environment, but, um, I went for a run uh, in Koh Chang, uh, the kind of the beach Island that we went to in Thailand. And then I went for one of my first shorter bike rides here and was quite sick after both of them because of heat and, uh, the combination of, um, not enough fuel or just like not keeping up on it. And, um, I've never had this happen before. Well, I guess I have had troubles in adventure races in the past with heat, but like had my stomach go bad both times and like bad, like all night basically. Yeah. Um, so when I went out for my 110 kilometer ride, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty worried about it. Um, cause it was like an out and back ride. It wasn't like a loop or anything where I could get back quick. Um, and thankfully I, I was okay on the long ride, but yeah, like the heat is just 
brutal. Yeah. Here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting how your body adjusts out over time, but I, I hear what you're saying. The idea of just the intersection of just the, your own, your own biological needs combined with the fluid you have, with the food you're eating, it's all kind of coming together here. Um, yeah. I, yeah I think and the biggest, just the biggest casualty of it is, is we're doing a lot less walking. Mm-hmm. Um, in the cities and and around, you know, that part of it is you can take a tuk tuk a tuk tuk for a dollar fifty to get all the way across town. So it's you know it's inexpensive inexpensive to use public transportation options, but it also just the heat is so sapping that right. especially for the kids, we haven't wanted to push too hard. Um, yeah. But I am personally feeling the lack of you know there was a lot of activity the first two months, and I am experiencing the lack of that gotcha. from just energy like a, perspective like, like a heat-based lethargy and just reacting to the situation and all the all the systems that are being taxed no actually the opposite like my i would my body is feeling the lack of energy expenditure during the days so i get to the end of the days and i have more like pent-up yeah. energy yeah you got to go to yeah. bed exhausted and that catches up to you yeah. i got you okay so so we talked a lot about thailand last time and, and thailand was thailand i think cambodia is a fascinating country uh, from the outside looking in, the intersection of war and culture and Cambodia has been, been and, and I'm going to say these things. I want you to walk me towards or away that my understanding. I always got the feeling that Cambodia was caught in between so many of these other forces outside of it going on, that they were that the that they literally were a country stuck in the middle and and Western powers sort of went went back and forth with the, the, the French and then during the Vietnam War and back and such a an interesting complex place. And it sounds like you've, you've gotten your real full dose of that. You mentioned the brothel before and, I, and that, that story is, I'm sure will prove interesting. Um, but am, is my take on Cambodia, am I hearing it correctly? I think that especially the, the modern history of Cambodia, that definitely rings true. You know, first, as you said, the, the French colonialism and then Cambodia kind of being destabilized by the U.S. presence, the Soviet presence, by, by Vietnam itself, right? Vietnam has actually controlled Cambodia at different periods of time. Um, we went to this museum in a town called Batambang, which um, we we kind of used as a stopping uh, um, in midway point between Thailand and Siem Reap. And um, it was it was called the Peace Museum, right? It's what we called it. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I think it was a longer name, but yeah, it's basically what it was. Um, and it, it had this incredibly powerful kind of through line, which was everyone outside of Cambodia knows Cambodia for this three-year period of genocide. Some people also know that Cambodia had a two decades civil war after the genocide ended, um, which which, if I'm being honest, like is not a history that I knew coming in. Like the genocide was a history I knew, but not those those 20 years after. But this museum was really making the case for if we focus only on that, we risk losing the promise of tomorrow and we 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 risk the hope and we, we miss the potential. Um, and it told this remarkable story of the peace process and mm-hmm. of how Cambodia now serves as um, kind of an example and serves as ambassadors on peacekeeping missions around the world. And it, it, it was a really powerful um, just moment of recognition of like, we get trapped in that only focusing on the one thing also. So, so, they, so from a, a, a domestic national perspective, they refuse to be defined by the trauma that visited upon them, but rather the promise, the hope of tomorrow. That was certainly the message at the museum mm-hmm. and whether that's the lived experience. Um, I, I have found it. I have been very timid in asking locals that we've met about the impact of those 25 years on them and their families. I just I can imagine the trauma that comes with that question. And I haven't I haven't felt comfortable broaching it. OK, the the the. Now, the fourth time, third time, we've mentioned the idea of the brothel. What was that story? She points at me for the brothel story. Yeah. All right, Brian, tell me, when I say the words beer garden, what do you think? Well, Ger- what comes to mind? Germany. It has to be, right? Beer garden, yeah. 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 Beer garden. And if it's garden. not German, it's just it's a beer garden, right? right? It's a beautiful, you know, place where you sit down and have some yummy food and Tables, drink beer. People, there's a, there's yeah. umbrellas and you're hanging out. You're having a good time. 
Yeah. So, you know, when we get to Siem Reap, we get off the bus, we get on a tuk-tuk, it drives us to our uh, hotel. Um, and we notice there's all these beer gardens all over and they look great. You know, they're kind of these big establishments like leafy courtyards and uh, look wonderful. Um, so I think it was our second night in Siem Reap. Uh, we wanted to get some dinner. There's, there weren't actually a ton of restaurants around where we were literally staying. We were outside the center of town a bit. Um, and we decided let's, let's go to the beer garden. So we get up, we walk there literally around the corner about a minute walk. We walk in the front door, place is empty. We have it to ourselves. Everyone's very accommodating. The, the, you know, the, the restaurant staff's really polished, you know, in kind of uniforms and, um, they attend to us. It was great. Yeah, really good Khmer food, like local yeah. food. Yeah, the food was like some of the the better uh, food we've had um, uh, in in Cambodia, at least. And uh, that had the, as the meal went on, I think Abby and I were looking at each other, feeling like, where are we right now? Like, there's something about this place that just just doesn't feel quite right. There's people, so there's there's no other customers, right? It's just us. But, you know, they have like 50 people on staff and there's a lot of busyness. People are all over the place. Um, and we start to notice there's a couple, there are a couple women walking around that aren't in the uniforms, but uh, look like they're ready for uh, a night on the town. And more than a couple, like well, half a dozen at least. Well, I think you're jumping ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a couple like kind of just walking around right here and there. Um, we get up to leave, right? And there's a gauntlet of these women sitting at the entrance by the time we, by the time we leave, I think there might have been one or two people there when we walked in. Um, we were there, I think on the early side, uh, but we leave and it's just, yeah, this two rows of women sitting by the entrance, um, and something I think in both of us just kind of clicked and we're like, I'm pretty sure that we just took our kids to dinner in a Cambodian brothel. So we went back to the hotel, jumped on Google, didn't take very long to confirm that, you know, it may not have technically been a brothel. It sounds like it is a common practice for a lot of these places to essentially just contract with people. Um, well, we'll be specific with young Cambodian women to, to, to serve as um, essentially like barmaids right. and they become the the brand ambassadors and they are tasked with selling beer to customers. But gotcha. so they make small talk, they chat, they hang out and we get, you know, their beer. It's not an uncommon thing you see. It's and I don't think it's a Cambodian thing specifically. You see it in places around the world where young women are monetized, so to speak, to spend time with men to get them for the purpose of running up bar tips. Yes. Um, and, and then another we, level. Yeah, we didn't do research about the the global enterprise, but we right. did do some digging into what happens in Cambodia, and and it it really is a monetization of women's bodies, and so it doesn't always necessarily lead to sex, but it definitely leads to harassment. Right. Um, there are um, high incidents of HIV among the women who work at these beer gardens. There's um, really high alcohol consumption, kind of coerced alcohol consumption, which leads to other health issues, and we right. were. Human trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. And, you know, um, yeah. And and it could have also been it, truly a, a, a full-blown brothel organization as well. We just, we don't know. Right. Um, the worst part was Zoe liked the food a lot and asked if we could go back. Simon did too. Yeah. Yeah. It was a different <laughs> conversation with Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I ended up having an extended conversation with Zoe about you know, a, a slightly more PG version of what we just shared. Right. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, I, I was texting or, or messaging with a friend about it and she said it so well. She was like, it breaks your heart to expose your kids to things they never thought possible in the world. Um, and suddenly like Zoe is, is just like seeing things that didn't exist for her before. Yeah, um, I think she's one of those moments on this trip. Well, well that, that, and that's the fascinating part of the trip, right? And this is this is turning to a bit of a parenting podcast, right? The idea, like, when do you reveal to your children that the world isn't necessarily Disney movies and unicorns and lollipops, right? That the world in many ways is a challenging place for a lot of people. And then, blessedly, you, your daughter, that is not her reality, right? 
and and the yeah. idea that she gets to live in a world that is different. And how do how do you how do you square those edges, right? And every parent goes through it, and every and every every adult who's important in life of a child is going to have to work alongside that child to help them navigate the sometimes tricky, challenging world that is many ways beautiful and many ways not beautiful. And how do you do that? And I think the trip that you're taking is sort of giving your family a crash course on that, right? Because it's actual and it's real. It's not in theory. It's not far away. Yeah. I mean, and and certainly now, I mean, Cambodia has really, um, you know, we, we've had flashes of that elsewhere, um, a little bit in Thailand. Morocco was in a way, from a historical perspective, Morocco was more benign. Culturally, there were some things but I mean, it, Morocco is interesting because Zoe identifies as Jewish and there is, um, you know, between Spain, Portugal and and Morocco, there was this history of persecution and exile and, and violence. And it's funny, I think in some ways that she uh, she was more struck by that than I was because it's, just, you know, it's kind of a trope for me at this point. Um, but right. I don't think it's a history that she had encountered before. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Cambodia has been kind of a, a different level of that. I mean, Batambang, the the first town we were in, was the second night we were there, we went to um, a site where there's a spot called a killing cave, right? So we mentioned the the killing fields, and for anyone that isn't familiar with kind of Cambodian history, the killing fields, um, you know, are, are a direct reference to the Cambodian genocide that took place in the mid to late 1970s, and there there are hundreds of these sites across the country that are kind of referred to as the killing fields. It's not just one site. Uh, I had not heard of the killing cave or caves, which also are something um, that are here. They're not as common, but there is a site right outside Batambang um, called the killing cave. And we went out one evening and we actually primarily were going to see this amazing um, natural phenomenon with people keep saying millions of bats coming out of this um, cave at sunset and you kind of sit below them and they flood out and it is pretty amazing. Um, but there's this mountain kind of around this cave, not really a mountain, more like a big hill. And it's got a bunch of pagodas on it and temples. And then this, this site called the killing cave where something like 10,000 people, many of them Buddhist monks were uh, executed. Um, and you can kind of go down into the cave and there's a, you know, a relatively small monument that has some skulls in it. And, um, I don't know, we didn't talk much about it, but I think, I imagine we both were kind of wondering to ourselves, is this appropriate to be bringing our kids into, but we decided to, to do it while sharing some context with them as we walked up to the site. Yeah. We talked to them about it some beforehand and knowing what Zoe can take in and knowing what Simon can take in are, are obviously two pretty different things. And so much of those conversations, we cater towards Zoe um, right. to, to give her the context, but then like also check in and make sure she's okay. Um, and she's processing it at a level that, that is appropriate for her. Um, but Simon, Simon, to his credit is, is doing a lot of processing too. And he's mm -hmm. you know, taking it in at a totally different level, but he's asking really thoughtful questions. And, um, I can't remember if we talked about this already, but back in Thailand, we went to a museum about the Thai Burma railroad and, mm -hmm. um, the, the POW camps, um, and it was brutal and it was ruthless. And Simon, um, was incredibly kind of absorbed by that museum. Um, so he's, he's definitely getting his fill too. What, what it's just a, to me, it's fascinating the this the idea that you I, I don't know how really had to just put it into words like as I process it out loud here, but the idea that the the fact that we you see such incredible beauty and you see such incredible horror intersecting at the same time in the same place, you know. Yeah. And I, so I have to ask this question. I think I ask this question more emotionally for myself and maybe for the listeners too. Is as human beings, we take great comfort in the idea of, of, of redemption and the idea that we could say to ourselves, this was really, 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 really terrible, but good has grown from it and the world has moved on from it. And we're and there's an upward arc, right? It's the you know, the the arc of history bent towards justice, right? That's a a common quote. Do you see pieces of that in Cambodia? Um so at that same peace museum, there was an exhibit about um, guns. And, you know, as you might imagine, civil war, like every home had had a gun or multiple guns for for safety or for or for combat. 
And um, the country had um, what seems so foreign in the U.S., so impossible in the U.S., they had a, a program where they um, took the guns back. They they essentially bought the guns back, but the the money that they paid for them went toward community infrastructure and community projects rather than individual, you know, um, inducements. And then they used the the melted down metal in public memory projects, in in sculpture gardens, and um, and it was just this this amazing moment of of possibility. Again, I keep using that word possibility to describe that museum, um, and I'm sure it's not as rosy a picture as, as that one example painted, but, but that was a, that would felt like a poignant one. Um, and you had a conversation with Joel's host family. Maybe you want to share about kind of the idea of forgiveness. Mm. Um, when maybe it wasn't with him. No, um, it was that with the, the guide. With at, the guide. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we did a, a morning tour of Angkor Wat with an official guide. And um, at one point, you know, uh, it was a bit, bit of a holistic tour in part because of the questions we asked, but we ended up on the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot at one point. Um, you know, and again, for, for people that don't know the history, Pol Pot, um, the leader of the, uh, the Khmer Rouge that conducted the genocide, um, when the Khmer Rouge fell in 1979, though they didn't really fall, they ended up fighting another 20 years in the civil war, kind of using the the border with Thailand as a base. And Pol Pot, um, you know, basically lived out 20 more years of his life, continuing to orchestrate the Khmer Rouge. Um, and uh, he died um, under some mysterious circumstances, but he never really faced any kind of official trial or consequence. Um, and so I, I asked the guide kind of about that and, you know, just how do people in Cambodia feel about that? And he kind of smiled and he just... Uh, you know, he referenced Buddhism and karma, the concept of karma, right? And to your point earlier of this kind of juxtaposition of horror with beauty, um, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I can't, I, I mean, I just can't really think of anything that I've seen in this world that is kind of as like striking and beautiful as, as Buddhism and, and everything that's going with it, right? The architecture, the traditions, I just, I think it's a pretty spectacular um, way of life and it's amazing to be seeing it in person. Um, but yeah, he was like karma, you know, we let it go now to be fair here in Phnom Penh, I've heard a number of references about how angry people are or, or were. And so, you know, I think it's easy for one person to say that. I, I don't know that that's actually everybody's reality. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a great question and I think it's the answer is both as always, it's kind of both and, and, um, you know, yeah, Cambodia has recovered in some remarkable ways and, you know, kind of like Rwanda, um, you know, or, or South Africa, these countries that have really embraced the concept of like, a, you know, a genuine kind of reconstruction and reconciliation, um, reconciliation process, um, unlike other countries, um, you know, I think they're, they've done a pretty good job of that. And, you know, like learning here that... The Cambodian genocide ended in 1979, and countries like the United States continued to recognize the Khmer Rouge as the official government of the country for another 15 to 20 years, right? Um, you know, another thing which we haven't mentioned yet, but we've been learning a fair bit about is the massive problem with landmines and the fact that the United States continues to refuse to sign like the international ban on landmines. Now they're pumping a fair bit of money into places like this to try to help alleviate the the long-term problems that come with it. But it's tough. Like, you know, I, I tend to, I, I like to think of myself as a realist. Abby might call me cynical. Others have done so as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's that, that fine line of like, yeah, there's good stuff going on, but man, like you dig, just a little bit below the surface and there's a lot of bad stuff still happening that's deeply tied to this history that's now 40 years old um and we keep making the same mistakes right um as a as a as a world so i don't know i think cambodia is doing probably like okay compared to obviously where it was uh and could be doing a lot worse in its recovery um but i think it's still the history of it still continues to highlight some of the really deep flaws we have in our, our international kind of economic, military, political 
systems. Right. Although the, 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 the base layer situations that led to it happening are still in place. And there's these fluctuations above it that up and down and where Cambodia, if you will, is on an upward fluctuation, right? The fact that things are, they have, they recognize the, the peace museum and they recognize the landmines and they, and there's, they're doing those things. But to your point, the things that are driving it are still in place and therefore, you know, time is a flat circle, right? It, it may repeat yeah. itself down the road. It, the it's other, get, just the other piece of that is we, we've been in Phnom Penh for about 30 hours, so we're mm-hmm. still getting the lay of the land. Um, but there's a, there's a climbing gym 400 meters from our apartment, which has been great. I've been there the last two days. I took the kids this afternoon, Brent met us there yeah. and I've met a bunch of expats. Um, and one of them started kind of his, his sojourn to, Phnom Penh back in 2006. And he was telling me at that point, it was literally like dirt roads. Um, and that this was the the spot and, and Brent went to the museum today. So you, you might have a, a more immediate recall, but my understanding is this was kind of ground zero for the beginning of the Khmer Rouge um, reign. And so they just like, that one of their goals was to empty the cities and Phnom Penh was a ghost town for, for many, many years after that. He said, you know, 2006, it was still dirt roads. 2012, they had one high rise. And now it's this, you know, like totally paved, very modern looking city, but it's also, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have the infrastructure capacity to deal with all of the things that come with that. So all of the motorbikes, all of the cars, all of the congestion, um, it feels it feels um, just like inc- like like really packed, really right. kind of um, without organization. And I think some of that is because of that really precipitous growth. Right, right, um, right. And and the idea too, like when the and I'm going to make it a, that by by emptying out the cities, they also took away they also took away all the the mid level people that would have do urban planning. Like they just struck out yeah. that whole bureaucracy, and now it's kind of a free for all. Right. It's in it. And I think that's that's uh, Steve Inskeep in his book, uh, The Accidental City. And I apologize to Steve Inskeep if I'm getting this this part wrong. Um, he wrote about parts of Pakistan where 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 cities, they were just they were built to me like like that really quickly. And all of a sudden there was no structure around it. Right. And that's I think that's that was Karachi was the city that he talked about there. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, and there's a, there's a whole other conversation. And we're a little time pressed for this version, but I do want to come back to this. The, the 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 ability for 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 Phnom Penh to have this type of growth is is due in some part to the to the Western influence on the economy, mm-hmm. and so in one way we could point towards corporate behavior as being amoral and corporate behavior as hurting people overall. But then there's also an exchange of goods and services that enable these cities to grow incredibly with paved streets and all that comes along with that with that um uh the the um. Finesse the uh, that's not the right word I want to use, but the fact that the cities are just more livable, there's more life to them. You get that in exchange for all the other good that comes with it, right? And so there's that that circle, so to speak, of what's right and what's wrong for these cities. Well, and probably the best example of that is that there's been dollarization to their economy. Like right. they have a local currency, but everywhere kind of deals in both real and American dollars. And you right. can get American dollars out of out of ATMs and it's it's wild. Right. But but it, it, it's it's rather annoying, to be honest, because you, you get money out of an ATM and it's like brand new, crisp one hundred dollar bills. Mm-hmm. And I've said to a whole bunch of people, I'm like, I couldn't use this in the United States. No one takes hundred dollar bills. Right? right. I mean. Obviously, some do. Here, you can go in and buy like a $10 meal, and they're like, yeah, I can break 100 But then they break your 100 They give you all this old money that is probably floating around because of tourists. And then no one will take the old money because it has to be new money for them to accept it. Old U.S. dollars, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, if they give you old U.S. dollars back and they're like faded or bent or, you know, God forbid, a little nick – like no one will take it, right? Because the bank um, won't accept it from, has from to be, retailers. It has to be new money. So it's just, um, yeah, we actually like would much prefer to work in the local currency, but it's, it's. I've never seen anything like this currency-wise. So, so let's do this. We're up against a hard stop this morning. So for those who are listening at home, this is really kind of part one of this, right? Of, the, of this conversation. I think there's still a lot more to go on. Um, so let me give you final chance to say some closing thoughts on the first part of Cambodia, knowing that we're going to come back to part two very, very, very soon. Who wants to start us off? Sure. I'll just say we, we've talked about some heavy stuff, so I'll end with a light one. Um, Simon pretty much taught himself how to swim in the Siem Reap swimming pool at our hotel. So that was a, a total joy, eight days, eight nights, and the child now knows how to swim 
which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Has yeah, a tooth, as, like, as, on that note, has a tooth fairy had the chance to pay a visit over there yet? No, I think both kids are kind of waiting for on different different ends of that spectrum. <laughs> I'm curious when the, when she arrives. I'm curious what what currency she'll transport it. But we'll we'll circle back on that one later on. A good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Siem Reap was pretty magical for us. I think it was maybe kind of holistically the best week we've had of the trip um, for all of the reasons we've been sharing: just the individual time, the family time, the outdoors, the swimming pool. Um, it was pretty great. And I think Cambodia may rank among our favorite places of the trip. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode five of the Roaming Roots podcast. As I mentioned in the beginning, this is a bit of a two-parter. Uh, we were time-pressed for this part of the interview. We're going to pick it up ASAP and get the second part of this out next week. More conversation to have about Cambodia. Thanks for being here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast and be sure to follow along. You could always like, subscribe, leave a review, whatever you want to do. We're glad you're here. Enjoy listening.